0: welcome in to a brand new episode of cinema ticket Uh, my name is zach leslie and i'm your host as always and on this episode i'm joined by a very special guest travis house travis how are you doing man
1: I'm doing good, and it's great to finally have a chance to talk to you. I know we've been on and off talking for a while now, so it's great to be able to work with you. How's everything going?
0: Good, man. I- I'm trying to remember like how we exactly like came into contact. Was it via letterboxed and then Twitter, or vice versa?
1: Um, You know, honestly, I was thinking about that, too. I was like, I think it was like we had probably... It was somewhere between Twitter and Letterboxd. Actually, it was Twitter, because I, like, I, I post like a lot of like my reviews and stuff through yeah. Letterboxd. And I think there may have been like, one or two, and you passed by it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go ahead and check them out. Oh, it's a podcast. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. Oh, he has all these other things. And we like a lot of stuff in common. Yeah. So it just worked out perfectly.
0: Yeah, it's been really cool to interact with you on Twitter and share our opinions about movies. And then I've been looking for guests for the next uh, few months of episodes and I was like, man, Travis just makes a lot of sense. We already talk about movies a lot on Twitter, so uh, I know it'd be a cool conversation. So thanks for hopping on and and agreeing to do this because I needed some guests, and you were perfect for it. So
1: thanks, man. All right, thank you. Thank you for having me as well.
0: And today we are going to dive in uh, to Christopher Nolan's uh, space epic, Interstellar. And kind of before we get into that, I want to know about your movie watching experiences I know movie theaters aren't open right now um, mm-hmm. so what's your quarantine movie watching setup like and how have you been able to to watch your entertainment during this time
1: um well I I am a movie theater kid at heart I love yeah. movie theater like that's always been kind of like my place that I've always gone to and you know it's been kind of it's been pretty rough it, it doesn't seem that, that bad but going three months without being in the movie theater is like a lot more complicated than I expected it to be. Um, but thankfully I still have, you know, my TV set up in my room. I still have like, I am a very big believer in physical media collection also as well. Oh, yeah. so I have like most of like my Blu-rays I've been starting to really get into 4k collection even more lately as time has going on since I have a little bit more income. And I've just been kind of using that ever since then. Um, And I think the last film I saw in the theater was about March. Yeah, like March, maybe like a week or two before everything shut down. But um, I've been using this time to just, you know, catch up on other movies that I haven't really gotten a chance to see. Um, Been finally digging into my Criterion collection. So it's I've actually been utilizing the time pretty well.
0: That's awesome. And do you have a favorite theater? I mean, obviously it's closed right now, but do you have a favorite theater in, in the D.C. area where
1: you're at? Um, there's, there's a couple, um, it, for some people may know, but I'll try to basically say like the city and places. I think the two that I tend to go to the most is the Regal Majestic 20 and IMAX in Silver Spring, Maryland. The reason I really like that one is because it has a multi, it has a multiplex and it also has like an IMAX theater. That's like really nice size. I know it's not the, you know, 70 millimeter in the air and space museum, yeah. but it, it's the closest enough to getting a multiplex on IMAX screen. And I think my second would be in D.C., which is the landmark E Street Cinema, where it is much more dedicated to the art house kind of collective. So you get like the A24s, like the Annapurna films, but then also you get like those, you know, foreign films and films that probably would never get, you know, seen in like the big chain, theater chain multiplexes. So those are my two go-to's.
0: Cool. And do you have a, a favorite movie snack, a go-to? Uh, I've had some people on here who say they mostly broke college kids like myself who don't do any snacks when they go to the movies because uh, of the prices and stuff. But I didn't know if you had a go-to, uh, a go-to snack that, that you enjoy.
1: Um, I, I don't know how, ma- how many times you've been to AMC, but they have these mozzarella sticks and they never seem to disappoint ever. <laughs> They so, just that that's just been my go-to. Like it's it's like for eight dollars you get like maybe like ten or twelve sticks. It's like a lot of them, yeah. but they they are very satisfiable. And when I was like running between theaters all the time, that was like if I'm in an AMC, I'm like I'm just getting that.
0: Yeah, and I worked at a Regal for about a year and mm-hmm. had a lot of the same kind of food. I had, like more than just popcorn and candy, but like a mozzarella stick, some tacos and like different stuff like that, and was very involved in, in the making of those things. And it's always, they always taste better than I think they will, um, even though they're from a movie theater. But um. yeah. So like I said earlier, we're going to talk about Interstellar today, and you actually got a chance to see it in theaters, uh, mm-hmm. which I have not. So I kind of want to hear about your theater experience with it, um, where you saw it and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Okay, so um, I have to kind of backtrack a little bit. I actually have the, the tickets to some of these on here, so I had to kind That's of awesome. give a rundown. I was like, where, where did I go? Okay, so I knew, just to kind of give a rundown, um, I didn't start seeing movies in IMAX until about a little after 2010. So I just, I during this time when NEMIS-STELLA came out, I was just really getting into the habit of actually seeking out certain films in IMAX. So I had just seen um, the Dark Knight Rises a couple of years prior in IMAX and mm-hmm. at the Air, National Air and Space Museum in D.C., and for those who don't know, that was a 70-foot cedar, and it's like full 143 aspect ratio, so you get to see mm-hmm. all of it in its full glory, and I think they were playing the 70-millimeter IMAX version of it. Okay. So you get to see all the detail of it, and I remember... I saw it. I was like, "Oh my God, this is like a lot of detail." Because when you when you see the difference between like how it's shot on the 35 or the 65, mm-hmm. like you see that transition, and it's like the screen just fully opens up, and it's just the clarity of it is like mind blowing. So I knew after seeing Dark Knight Rises, I was like, "I gotta see Interstellar this exact same way." And you know why why not in the Air and Space Museum? because it just felt so ideal. But um, it's it's one of those ones where I hate saying mind blown because I always, I feel like mind blown gets used over too much. But when I tell you there's the moments when they finally start going into space and you see like the moments with um, the gargantua planet and I yep. was like, oh my God, this is just too much. And yeah, I, I just, I knew that, I remember just seeing the trailers and I was like, I mean, one, I was already gonna go because i'd already kind of gotten an acceptance of christopher nolan but i just felt like seeing space on that large screen was definitely something for me as well and i didn't know that it was just going to go in so many different directions because i'm i'm a really big sci-fi person i think we talked about it prior but um i was like really big into science fiction because that's just i that was what i originally wanted to do i wanted to be more into the science aspect of life but filmmaking kind of took over my attention
0: yeah and the first time i saw this movie was actually a couple of weeks ago and i think we had an interaction on twitter about my experience with it i watched mm-hmm. it on a 65 ish inch um 4k tv mm-hmm. um which was which is great probably the most optimal way to watch it given the current circumstances mm-hmm. however i watched it on hulu and it was being brought to me by fx so like we have hulu tv here so we get access to um like the fx the movies that are on fx uh amc um all those other different mov- tnt tbs those kind of channels mm-hmm. and because of that they come with ads about every half hour probably or so yeah. um which fortunately some of them were skipped so it would like fade to black and then the ad wouldn't play and then it would come back into the movie yeah, but there were ads throughout it, and that was kind of a weird experience. Um, watching this movie with ads, and I had seen the bookshelf scene like towards the end. Mm-hmm. I had seen it when my dad was watching it downstairs by himself, and I had no context to what that was for, or about, or why, or what was happening on screen. I just saw this dude behind a bookshelf talking to this, or trying to talk to this girl who's on the other side of it. So, mm-hmm. um Really got to watch it for the first time. And like you, even though I didn't see it in IMAX, I have gotten to see one of his other movies in IMAX in 70mm, and that was Dunkirk, and that was a really cool experience.
1: Yeah, that was a great one.
0: Yeah, and uh, it it was really cool to be able to watch that for the first time. It was one that I was kind of hesitant to watch because I have a lot of friends who talk about it very highly, Mm -hmm. and so I have a lot of hesitancy when I have super high expectations for something I don't want it to let me down um yep. but visually this doesn't and there are a couple sequences that that you mentioned uh the space sequences i think about and we'll talk about it in a minute too about the sequence where they're trying to land their ship on the space station that's spinning in circles yeah and it is one of the craziest visual sequences um the sound design the visual all of it coming together is one of the crazy sequences and it was really cool to be able to see for the first time yeah. um i kind of have this theory about this movie not anything with the story but i think this is a Have you ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey?
1: Yes, I have.
0: I feel like this is 2001 for people who have never seen 2001.
1: Uh, You know, I do agree with that. Um, I saw 2001, God, when did it come back in the theaters? It was like a year or two ago. And I had already seen it prior, um, but it was good to kind of catch it again to kind of get a good sense of it. Because I never realized how, it like 2001, I've always found incredibly vague, but in a good way, like I understand that you know, 2001 is not easy for anyone to really pick up without at least having a little bit of sense of mm-hmm. context. But um, yeah, I think that interstellar is like a good middle ground of saying, okay, we're going to at least explain how some of these things happen in mm-hmm. order for you to get a sense of what to look out for, because there are certain things that you know a lot of the characters do or. How they're able to navigate with um, the time relativity that just mm-hmm. was not explained whatsoever in 2001.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned earlier, and when I mentioned Dunkirk as well, um, you you have a prior history with Christopher Nolan, um, and have seen more movies besides Interstellar. So, what is your opinion of him as a filmmaker? And do you typically enjoy his movies? Do you find them hard to get into? Uh, are you just kind of there for the ride, and whatever happens, happens? How <laughs> how do you feel about Christopher Nolan?
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting because like I really started kind of getting a sense of. I feel like I just really started getting a good rhythm of what to look out for with his style, um, and I think he has like very, <clears throat> I guess you could say like very big, high ambitious thinking man kind of blockbuster movies. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a very it's a really tricky thing to kind of describe because a lot of his stuff deal with a lot of different things. Like they'll have like a lot of central themes about family and connections mm-hmm. and just like how those emotions kind of bring it together. Even though a lot of um, Christopher Nolan's films are very like very serious in their tone, but they do have these occasional moments of like a lighter reflection. I think like Interstellar in some ways is like one of his more lighter films in terms of, you know, thematically in terms yeah. of, a lot of his uh, big budget films. But I think that a lot of it is kind of come from that because it's like, hey, I'm going to put these big spectacles, but I'm still going to give you a little bit of things to hang on to also within that and still make it feel a little bit intimate.
0: Yeah. Was the first Nolan film you
1: watched a Batman
0: movie or was it Memento or Inception or a a different one?
1: Um, I'm embarrassed to say the first Nolan film I saw was The Dark Knight. So I kind of saw things a little out of order. So okay. I saw uh, I saw Dark Knight, then I saw Inception. Then I went back to go see Batman Begins so I could at least feel like I can connect everything with Dark Knight grasses And then Momentum. Momento, sorry, that came out. I saw that somewhere in between Interstellar and Dunkirk as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think I saw Batman Begins first. And then actually, I think I saw Inception before I saw The Dark Knight, because when The Dark Knight came out, I was 11 or 12. Mm. So The Joker was something I did not want to watch on screen. Just for, I was terrified of the dude. So I kind of avoided that until later years. But, uh, so I think I actually saw Inception first, before mm. that, and saw it with my mom at theater. She hated it. Um, <laughs> but I didn't see Inception because of Christopher Nolan. Like I didn't really know who Christopher Nolan was, I guess. Yeah. Batman begins, but at the ripe age of twelve or thirteen, you know I don't really care about directors or filmmakers that much, and so I went to Inception because I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt a lot, and that was pretty much the only reason I saw that movie. So uh, it wasn't until the last few years where I've really started to kind of break down Christopher Nolan for me as a filmmaker um, beyond just the Dark Knight movies, because I think the general public. Kind of just knows Christopher Nolan for the Dark Knight movies, mm-hmm. and in some ways, those are his most straightforward movies that he's ever made. Like oh. in terms of like linear storytelling, and and how certain things happen. I think the Dark Knight Rises to me is the one that feels the most Nolanish. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels in the similar vein of Interstellar, Dunkirk, uh, Memento, and Inception. The other two, I think, are a little more straightforward linear i don't want to say typical superhero blockbuster but batman begins especially is basically just your typical superhero origin story it um, is. which is very unusual for him to do and that's been something that i've found kind of strange when revisiting his movies
1: oh yeah like that's that's the one thing about batman begins because um to be honest with you i remember when batman begins came out and i didn't want to see it because i felt like wasn't batman and robin like but a few years ago, like it, and yeah. I look back on the, the timeline and I realized I was like, man, there was literally like no more than like a three year gap between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it. So then, but um, yeah, it, it, I think that when I look back on it and I do agree, like that band begins tends to end up being the one of the, the Nolan films that I rewatched the less of. Mm-hmm. I think it was also like the, you know, I I give you one to get my one kind of film where, you know, the filmmaker makes like, all right, I'm going to make your film your way that's very akin to how it's presented. Because even like how Gotham looks in Batman Begins versus how it looks in The Dark Knight, is like two totally different things. And tonally, like when I watch it, I'm like, Mm well, it's not supposed to look like that. But I think that it was very much a film that is saying, hey, I can make, the blockbuster and I can make it, you know, my own way. And that's why I feel like with the dark Knight, then it was like this entrustment of, okay, you can, you know what you're doing. So you can kind of do it. However your way is.
0: Yeah, Where does interstellar fit? I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to make you rank the Christopher Nolan movies, but, um, where does interstellar kind of sit for you and Christopher Nolan's filmography?
1: Um, it's interesting because it's 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 definitely up there i don't i don't want to give it like all right this is the best this is that that's the best because i still I feel like there's still a couple more of the Nolan films I want to at least finish because I still haven't seen prestige or uh, insomnia either I, I haven't I have the prestige sitting on my digital collection, so that's next for sure um, but in terms of interstellar, I think this is definitely what I will say is the most ambitious and definitely the most risk-taking.
0: Yep.
1: I think that that on its own is kind of like an accomplishment because I feel like when I look back and I step back on this film, this is one of those films that could have easily fallen apart and just gone into too many different directions and too many different, it got lost in its own ideas, you know?
0: Yeah. It's one of those movies. I don't I don't know if I want to call it Christopher Nolan's messiest movie but in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like the one that's going for the most and has all these different ideas presented. Um, and in, in some ways, the story can feel messy in that sense because he's trying so much to do so much that some of the the science, the some of the the big sciency words and a lot of the big sequences and going to all these different planets. and then you have the the third act, which, um at least for me the last 10 minutes are my least favorite part and we'll get into that in in a minute but Mm -hmm. um it's just one of those movies that just is going for so much right for the people who don't like it i could see why they wouldn't um just because it is just going for so much
1: yeah no i i I totally agree with you i think um it's it's one of those ones where it's interesting because I remember the first time I watched Inception, I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but I liked it. I actually ended up being in theaters twice. But I think after the second film, the second viewing, I got a good sense of what the film is doing and what it's trying to say. And then I'm like, okay, I get it a little bit better now. Interstellar is interesting because it's one of those ones where I always kind of feel like, all right, so I'm trying to hold on to the the concept of time, how time passage comes up, the slip it, the time slip mm-hmm. it. Then I'm also thinking about the factor of the stakes of what's going on now on earth. And yeah. it's, it, it becomes a lot. And we're not even talking about the factor of the family drama as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, it's a lot. Uh, it's two hours and 45 minutes ish. Yeah, um, which during quarantine doesn't seem that long because I'm looking for things to fill the time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, it is one that is, I don't want to say it's a chore to rewatch because it's really nice to look at. The actors are all really great in it and there's nothing necessarily boring about it. It's just really long. And so for yeah. a lot of people I know can't really sit through that. And I loved your comment about inception. You said, I had I have no idea what's going on, but I'm having a good time. My yeah. letterboxd review for Memento was, I have no idea what just happened, but I had a good time was my yeah. like exact wording. So I feel like for a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, that's my approach. Mm-hmm. But just give me a good time. Give me, give me good actors and a, at least compelling idea narratives. And I'll probably enjoy myself at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that because, um, and I think that's probably why I've latched on to Nolan also, because it's like, if you're gonna go down, you're gonna go down swinging and I think that there is there's a little bit of that workman's like kind of style of like I'm just gonna throw all these ideas on, and you know whatever you latch onto is whatever you latch on and I feel like that kind of risk taking is something I've always kind of commended about that even in films that I feel like are of his, I feel like it's just too much going on there's a certain sense of you have a good set you have a good grasp on why you put that in there and i mm-hmm. think that those are the things that and those are the kind of films that i kind of admire where it's like i may not love the way you execute certain things but i admire mm-hmm. the sense that you are able to go into these different rounds but i don't i never once feel like why did you put that in there mm-hmm. it's like okay i kind of get it where you're going with it do i agree with it not necessarily but For sure. just get it
0: this may be a difficult question to answer, but how has this movie aged for you since you saw it the first time? And since you saw it in 70mm 70 mil- 70 IMAX, the whole thing, I know that's got to be the best experience you've had watching this movie, but in general, how has this movie aged for you over the past five or six years?
1: Um, You know, it's it's interesting because I thought I was going to dislike it more as time goes on, but I haven't. I think... I think kind of going back to what you said about the runtime, like if it was like maybe 10, 15 minutes shorter, I think I wouldn't have as much of a thing about it. There are definitely things where if I want to just look at my TV, like really just shine and showcase off some really good quality, then I'll just throw it on. And there are definitely certain things that I feel like I have a better sense of how they over, how the characters overestimated the time slippage, particularly with, um, God, what is the planet's name? Man's planet. The first one to go to with the water. Yep, yeah, with the big wave. Yes. So I, I rewatched that last night and I, they brought up the point of how they overestimated how they said that, you know, an hour down there is like maybe a few years or something. It's like really something small. But then when they come back and they, they meet with one of their other scientists, Romilly, they said he's been sitting there for like over a decade. Yeah. So it's just like, just seeing that it's like, oh wow, okay, I get a sense of the fallibility of the scientists of how they thought that it was going to be this and it's actually not that at all.
0: Yeah, I think that sequence on the wave with the big wave um, is probably my favorite of the movie. I think it's when Hans Zimmer's score is at its best. I know that some of the more intimate moments get a lot of praise in this movie, Mm -hmm. Um, but just the feeling of anxiety and you know in your mind that the longer they are here the more years that are going to pass and yeah and hathaway is taking her sweet time and you're like please get on the ship please and then yeah. she ends up costing them a decade or two or whatever i forget what it ends up being a couple days yeah,
1: yeah it was a lot and and yeah and yeah you're right because i remember i sat there and i watched it and i was just like i've seen this movie like at least a good four or five times now but i'm like why did you not speed up if you know the time is wrong? Like, I understand that there's a factor of gravity and all these other things, but I know the moment my feet touch the ground, a month's probably passed. So we need to just keep moving.
0: Yeah. I just mentioned my kind of favorite sequence in the movie with the big wave and trying to get out of it and they lose a crew member and everything. Do you have a favorite scene or sequence
1: that's stayed with you over the years? Um. Yes, and um that the scene that i know that really caught me was the moment with this is a mild spoiler matt damon is in the movie
0: yeah we can spoil it it's full The show is full full spoiler so you can okay. go ahead and spoil the
1: crap out of it i'm sorry right. i've been trying to i've been trying to be good about it because i was like i don't know maybe no you can go let loose um so yeah the scene with matt damon and he's trying to get on the ship he's already abandoned matthew mcconaughey and Anne Hathaway's characters they're trying to tell her do not detach cuz we're gonna screw everything up. Oh yeah. It turns everything over. You hear the click go on for a second and it just says there's a moment and boom, the mm-hmm. whole just breaks. And I remember just hearing the audible gasp in the audience every time I see that scene because mm-hmm. the thing I love about space movies is when you drown out the, the music and you just see the destruction. I feel I love that's why I love like movies like Interstellar and Gravity. It's like When you understand the fact that an explosion with no sound feels so much more effective than an explosion with sound, because it just kind of forces you to see that. So when I saw it happen and it's just destroyed, I'm like, oh my God, they're stuck. And I have no idea where this film is going to go after that.
0: And then Matthew McConaughey utters like the most insane sentence ever. And he's like, we got to go attached to it. And then that starts the whole sequence of trying to catch up to it while it's spinning, and the whole, that whole chaos of a scene, which is brilliantly done and directed, and it's really really cool. Yeah. Um, obviously, it sounds like from our conversation, this is a movie for you that has aged well over the years. Um, but I was wondering if there's anything that has stuck out more neg- negatively to you over the years that, like, you can't get past, that like, maybe you didn't like when you saw it the first time and maybe it's even gotten worse over time or anything maybe you liked the first time that hasn't really aged well for you?
1: Um, I think, really, it comes down to Michael Caine's character where he kind of knows that he's kind of screwing over these scientists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it made me start really thinking about it. It's like, okay, you already knew that these people were kind of going into a mission, but you didn't really give them full details and full discretion that they're going to be stuck there for years and years on and you're probably never going to see them again. You won't be faced by it mm-hmm. because you're probably going to be long gone by then. And no surprise he is. No. So he just literally like puts these people in this predicament and doesn't even tell her, even to the point that someone he's really the closest to doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has always been a thing that kind of always bugged me then, but now that I really think about it even more, because I was re-watching it last night, and him saying that, well, um, Jessica Chastain's character saying, did you know that this was going to happen? And
0: mm.
1: it's just like, wow. The people that he was closest to didn't even know themselves or they were kind of in the blind to it or just chose to be blind
0: to it. Yeah. There's one scene in particular and it should have hit me harder. I mean, it hit me really hard. It's probably the most emotional scene in the movie where he's like FaceTiming his kids kind of and Mm. he starts crying, right? And it's a really emotional sequence. That scene has gotten ruined for me by the gifts and the (laughs) and the memes and so before I saw it, the only context I had for that scene was the memes and the gifs.
1: Oh man.
0: you had it if I see it for the first time and I'm like, Oh, there's the gif. <laughs> and yeah. it's like a super emotional thing. Yeah. And, uh, so that was kind of a bummer. I mean, it still had a huge emotional impact on me. It's, I mean, McConaughey acts the crap out of that scene, but, uh, yeah. I just wish that I had not, seen i would honestly i just wish i would have seen this movie in 2014 probably is this the right answer yeah Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) because of you know how iconic of a space movie it's become over the years but that's one scene for me that over the over the years via social media has kind of i don't say lost its impact because it's still a very emotional scene but has been lessened so uh by the memes and stuff so that's just a small little nitpick i guess but My biggest issue with the movie, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this, Mm -hmm. is the last 10 minutes. You mentioned earlier that you wish this movie was 10 to 15 minutes shorter than it was. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, my ideal ending is at some point when his daughter is figuring out what he's doing behind the bookshelf, Mm -hmm. um, I just want the movie to end. Like, Don't give me any concrete answers to what's happening. Um, You can... Have the last shot be her figuring, like figuring out that it's him. But I don't need the last ten minutes of. And Chris Nolan never really does this, so I don't know why he did this. But the last ten minutes of giving me everything I want in terms of closure, mm-hmm. of like here's how all these characters, have, here's how their story ends, here's this, mm-hmm. one, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one, and then the movie's over. Right. And it's a just a little more concrete of an ending than I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the ending of In- of Inception, where you where you don't know really what's happening at the end, whether it's real or a dream, and that kind of sparks conversation forever.
1: Oh yeah, um, and it it's still and that that ending still holds up because yeah. I, it's funny because I remember looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, they're gonna cut, aren't they? They're gonna cut. They're not. Yeah. Gonna. But it, it was like that. I love that moment because it's it holds on it for so long because it has your mind thinking oh, they're going to cut. They're not going to show it. Like, will they? They might not. They will. They will. Oh, they cut. <laughs> but it, it starts, and I, I, I definitely get that because I I think Nolan works best when he's vague because that way, because that would have really sparked a lot more of the, all right, is she going to find out the inevitable? Is she going to tell her dad? It, it kind of leads, leads you, it's kind of like how, like in Arrival where If you know that, and I know we talked about it, but it kind of leaves you to wonder if she will inevitably tell what happens to her father. Mm -hmm. I think that that would have opened way more of a bigger dialogue where it's kind of like, will you let it happen? Or will you kind of be stuck in this kind of loop of like you, he may never find out, you know?
0: Yeah. And even Memento has you wondering like, okay, did, did he, did he kill his wife? like did he do it like we're told he did it towards the end but then even because of how the story's been told throughout you're questioning that because of his short-term memory loss and it leaves you kind of wondering about his character as a whole and obviously inception is very vague um basically lets you fill in the gaps how you want to end the story Mm -hmm. and interstellar just kind of finishes it for me which i i was totally expecting like when she figures out the stay stuff like this, how he's yelling stay through the bookshelf and then she realizes what the Morse code was. And I was just expecting it to cut there and like be over. And then it kept going. And I I made this comparison a few times, but it felt very Spielberg to me
1: that ending. I was going to, I was going to kind of coincide to that. Um, I don't know if you remember this film um, or if you've seen it but some one of my friends compared the ending to interstellar to AI artificial intelligence mm. and the way that artificial intelligence ends and a lot of people did not like how the way that film ended for sure it was one of those things where they said that it's very akin to that where it's like if it had ended somewhere else it would people wouldn't have as much of a problem with it. Mm. So I think I definitely see the comparison within that.
0: Yeah, the Spielberg ending for me that comes to mind is Minority Report, and Mm. it's one of my favorite movies. I love it, despite how I feel about the ending a little bit. Um, You just have this crazy concept of, you know, this guy who's in charge of this pre-crime department and they're trying to stop murders before they happen, and it's kind of trippy, futuristic, and then it just kind of ends with happily ever after. And that's Mm. not really what I want, necessarily. Right, Um, and Interstellar kind of gave me the same thing like I didn't need to see him with his daughter for the last time I didn't need to see the new space station they're traveling in which looks really cool I just didn't really need to see it Um, and I didn't need to know what happened to Anne Hathaway's character I didn't need to know like it's just a little more concrete for me than I would have liked and because of the ideas it presents that are so big it just kind of I don't want to say it feels cheap but it just doesn't feel right to me i don't know how to explain it
1: yeah no i totally get that and um i think that's the hard thing about making like big budget movies like that because it's almost a sense of you want to go all the way out there but then at the same time you kind of have to you know you have to give some people something to chew on by the end to make me feel like okay i understand where some of this comes in and And that's the hard thing about sci-fi is like that ending really matters for a lot of those films because, you know, you can have a sci-fi film go on for like 80 minutes about and not really know where it's going. But if if you can nail those last 20 minutes, then it's like, whoa, like this is what we were going for. It So I think sci-fi, in my personal opinion, for films are the trickiest ones to end on. For sure it makes you really think about what it is you've been seeing is this metaphorical is this straightforward whereas you know a drama you can have that happen but not it's not really but like a sci-fi like trying to get that to end right is very complicated in my and, opinion
0: yeah i agree and i think about some of the past years in sci-fi and some of the movies i've loved in sci-fi over the last few years i think about annihilation which has a very inception like ending of yeah. like you don't know who's who and who's an alien, who's not an alien and that mm. sort of thing. And the last 20 minutes of that movie are just bizarre. And if you don't like annihilation, I totally understand. It's not for everyone, but it was for me. So I watched
1: annihilation ex machina, all of
0: this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And arrivals. Another one I think about, um, it sets up a lot of really, for me, they're really awesome ideas and themes. Um, but if you're not really there for the big futuristic and trippy elements, I can see why that wouldn't be there for you either. Another issue, I don't know if it's an issue necessarily. Interstellar's themes for me are a little on the nose.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, we talked about Arrival via Twitter and on here a little bit already, but I really like Arrival in the sense that it's a movie I can unpack over and over and over and get more themes out of it the more times I watch it.
1: Oh yeah, um, but I can watch
0: Interstellar once and be like okay there's a big theme about love here and it's very upfront and on the nose and they want you to think about it a lot and so I was just kind of curious about how you feel about the themes of this movie and maybe even um, sci-fi movies at large like Arrival and Annihilation and how they
1: present their themes. Um, Yeah so I know a lot of it with sci-fi or at least from the recent 2010s boom of sci-fi so like the arrivals, the annihilations, the Blade Runner 2049. It's like a yeah. lot of it has to do with like the human emotion. And that's what I've been getting a lot from them. And I think that, you know, Interstellar kind of plays on into that concept of, you know, love can bring us back to who we, while we're doing certain things in the first place. Like we know that Matthew Mahanake's character is doing is going on this exploration because he loves his daughter and he loves his family and he loves them enough to try to find something for them that they will have a better future and i think with a lot of other films um with that they they kind of take on that kind of element and i think the hardest thing about um a lot the hardest thing about like interstellar doing it is because it takes like this big theme and then it's like, Hey, here's love that brought them back together. Mm-hmm. And it's more like, it does it. And, um, and I think that that's the, the hard thing about, the hard thing about balancing big, you know, sci-fi exploration with love is that it's so hard to balance the two in a story like mm-hmm. interstellar really, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of sci-fi movies especially Christopher Nolan movies that had these huge twists towards the end um Mm -hmm. we've already mentioned Arrival and Annihilation and even Blade Runner 2049 has a decent twist towards the end but Mm -hmm. how does this twist and the the twist in, in Interstellar I'm talking about is when they realize that this is all for nothing like the it's all a sham kind of thing like they've been sent on this mission and it's not to save humans like that Michael Caine has accepted that humans are done for, and we don't know that until I can't remember what
1: hour marker that is. It, was, about a, it was a, it wasn't too late because um I got to that part. It was about an hour thirty, maybe forty in because a little uh, over halfway. Yeah, because I remember Matt Jamin had just woken up, and um they. Um, Anne Hathaway's character gets called over to, it was either Tarzan case, I don't remember, they both looked alike. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, so, Jessica Chastain's character comes in, and they are doing the message and said that my your father died, he had no, you know, there was no pain, but did you know? So, I think hearing that very early on is like, it just becomes like an even more frustrating robot, um, for these characters, because mm-hmm. then all right, so we just lost decades of our lives with our loved ones at home for something that wasn't really cared for. And I think that because of that, it that's when it becomes very complicated because the film's central theme is about love and how their love will bring us back to these things. But I feel like with Michael Kane's character, I don't know if that theme of love is brought into him and, and Hathaway's character because if that theme was brought into them, then he would have better prepared them for that. I feel like they could have at least overlooked that one aspect if there was like uh, another hurdle block that you know they may have over overdone it with fuel or something where it's like oh well, not, we're not sure how we're going to be able to get back. It's one of those things where it's like they could have done it, or Christopher Nolan and his brother when they wrote it could have done it. So then that way it doesn't feel like they've wasted their time up to that point, or it could have just been something that could have been technically affected in their journey to be able to get back.
0: Yeah. And the first time you watched this movie, did that twist feel like a little too much because you're already processing the time relativity, you're already in space, which is a lot to deal with Mm -hmm. in itself. And then they throw this twist at you. Um, were you having to process, at uh, like, faster speeds because of, you know, the, the twist that's been thrown at you? I almost had to rewind it to make sure I understood, like,
1: what they were saying and what the significance of that was. Well, yeah, you had it better than me because when you, when they throw it on in the theater, there is no rewind effect nope. <laughs> or button at all. So if you miss it, you miss out. Um, I, you know, honestly, I'm trying to remember myself. I remember I just felt like there was just a lot of things. And I think that that's kind of the thing that always has been with a Christopher Nolan movie is that I have to watch it again. Because a lot of times with almost all of his movies, I feel like I get so much information. And then it's like, okay, I'm just trying to get past like a lot of the, the general stuff first. And then I can be like, okay, now what is essentially going on within it? And I don't feel like, I feel like with other sci-fi films, I don't feel like I have that issue. Like I, I got Annihilation relatively easily. I got I understood Arrival pretty well and Ex Machina on the first watches. But I feel like with Interstellar, I think hearing a lot of the, the science jargon, which I knew some of, but not all of it, For sure. it, became it, much, it became much harder to, you know, be able to process all that information. Because whenever you're dealing with something that is, not relatively known to the human language on every day. It's like, it, it takes a lot longer to process these, that information It's just human.
0: Yeah. Where does this movie sit for you in the last 10 years of sci-fi? Like, is this one of your favorites? Is this kind of in the middle of the pack for you? How do you feel about this when you look at the larger sci-fi scene over the last 10 years or so?
1: Um, you know, I I really, I look back and I'm like, wow, we had a really solid year in terms, a solid decade of sci-fi yeah. films. When they're good, they're really good. Yeah. As much as there are things I like about Interstellar and there's things I like about Christopher Nolan, I got to say middle. Because yeah. when I when I think of films that I'm like, sci-fi films that I really like, like I'm immediately saying Blade Runner 2049, yeah. Arrival, um, Ex Machina, like annihilation and then interstellar and i think a lot of the hard part is because what makes the difference between those those films in this is that interstellar took a little bit more time to process everything
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah it the hardest thing what about you
0: yeah the last 10 years in sci-fi i mean the movies you just mentioned are some of my favorite movies of the decade period Mm -hmm. like not just sci-fi um i think about blade runner 2049 annihilation arrival um a lot of those those movies and those are some of my favorite movies period and i think i like interstellar less than those movies we mentioned um but i still had a good time i think it's i watched arrival about a week after this Mm -hmm. uh, for the second time and it changed my opinion a little on interstellar. I was like, okay, arrival. This is a masterpiece. And I have issues with interstellar, but I still like it. Like I still enjoy it every, like when I watch, I've watched it twice now, I think. And I still have a good time. I'm my concern with it is for me, as I keep uh, visiting it throughout the years is, am I coming back for the visuals alone Mm -hmm. or am I coming back for the story and for these characters? And that's something I'm, kind of wrestling with now um, because in Arrival I can come back for more than just the visuals obviously it was nominated for best cinematography at the Oscars but um, there's more to Arrival that I come back to beyond just the way it looks that makes sense
1: yeah yeah no I totally agree like I think um, I've rewatched Arrival a little while after seeing it in theaters and my god that twist was I remember the first I I told you about my first experience with the the twist the first time I was like I was in such denial that it happened and then when it registered I was like oh my god we've been watching this how and the thing that I like about that twist is like after knowing it I'm like this still holds up like I get Mm -hmm. it like it still feels like it never feels like it's left field like when I look back on it as time has Mm -hmm. gone on and I think that that's what the, the edge that Arrival had that Interstellar didn't is that I feel like even with knowing the twist, I never once felt like I was being—it was never being, you know, ripped from under my feet.
0: Yeah, I do want to mention some more positive things about Interstellar because I feel like over the last ten minutes or so, we've been saying a lot of negative things, but we both like this movie. Yeah. Um, so I want that to be the point that comes across. Yeah, um, so what are what are some things that you look forward to revisiting when you rewatch this movie?
1: Um, I think what I really love about it is the perfect blend of technicality that Interstellar had. One thing that, and this kind of goes back into praising and Christopher Nolan, one thing that I love about his stuff is that I never once doubt for a second that a lot of it is done practically, but I still want to know how did you make this practical? Oh, for sure. Play. And I think that that is the one thing I loved about it. Like being able to mix, you know, film photography on something that's so technically done you know that could have easily been done on digital still just looks really astounding to me and just even like having like those little moments of like the moment after the sandstorm where they show like the house after it's been blown away with like the sand and also just being able to just see how the the aftermath of it was still just stunning to me even seeing the um when, the, when they're driving through the cornfield relatively early on, like that's yeah. still a gorgeous piece to me. Um, and I think that that's one thing that I've always loved is that even though I have so many flaws, I feel like the film has a lot of flaws from the storytelling standpoint. It is just like, I've always found it a visual treat to look at. Yeah. Even even if with, when it's not on a big screen and Matthew McConaughey's performance on there still is very impeccably done. Um, Just like even seeing how his broken face of accepting the fact that he's driving off and he may never see his daughter again, Mm. the same person or who he is, how they've seen each other for so many years. Like that alone is still just like so much to process. And those are the things that I really do love for it. And in some ways, the surrealism of the the bookshelf scene near the end where they're Mm when he's just driving into it, then it's like, it kind of gives me the sense of, okay, now they're in this place of space that's completely unexplored, where it's kind of like an alternate reality or kind of like a, like a mirror flipped perspective of our reality as humans versus how, wherever he traveled off into when he ejected.
0: Yeah. What is the lasting impact of this movie for you? I know, obviously the visuals are great, Um, and that's probably its greatest impact on me is Mm -hmm. the filmmaking and the way it looks. And that's something that will keep me coming back and will be what I remember it for. Mm -hmm. Ultimately for you, like, what is the legacy of this, of Interstellar for you?
1: Um, I think just really having an ambitious space story in this, you know, decade. Well, in this kind of period, when we talk about, um, big sci-fi movies in space like i mean 2001 tends to be the big one um i hear about solaris sometimes as well um but i think of when i think of so many other films like we see smaller films like moon that tend to get a lot of recognition Mm -hmm. as well but i don't know i can't name too many space exploration movies that get often brought up like during this time period, at least not on a surreal aspect of it. Like you can have like for every Apollo 13 or at least like seven of those, we get this essentially. So every once in a while, we, I think that that's probably the one thing that we'll get held on to. Do I think this will be the film that Chris Renolan is forever remembered for? Probably not, but this is definitely one that will undeniably get brought up.
0: Yeah. I think this is one of his movies that when people think about Christopher Nolan, this is the kind of movie I think people picture Mm -hmm. with these big ideas, um, huge uh, loud score by Hans Zimmer. That's also kind of intimate at times too. Uh, Great actors, big, big story. And besides Dunkirk, I think people also expect a long Mm runtime, maybe. I did Uh, too. And so I think this is, A lot of what Christopher Nolan does for me besides the ending uh, pretty well Um, and I think its legacy for me is it tried something and in the in a movie space where it feels like it feels like anyway I know it's not true but sometimes it feels like studios aren't taking risks and aren't trying new things and that only Disney's making remakes and and all this kind of stuff and um, well that's while that's not true it, it sometimes kind of feels like the narrative and it's nice to visit cool. movies like Interstellar that really really try to be something different and original and and have a life of its own, which I think is really cool
1: yeah and and that's always been the hard part because I always try to advocate for um, I always try to advocate for films that want to take the risk because we don't get those often i mean like you said, we hear a lot of times about how you know no idea is original. But I've always said for it's so easy to get kind of lost in the multiplex narrative, what I like to call, which is the sense of you just see what is in the big screens. You don't see what's in the smaller ones. You don't see the the art house films that try to do these things and try to take these surreal kind of linear narratives. So to even be able to see like an Interstellar or a Blade Runner 2049 where they had these like humongous budgets and, you know, kind of go in a lot of different places, but it's like, we don't really get that often. Like, I can't name you, but so many directors that can take on a $100 million film plus that's all original, not based on any adaptation whatsoever. And, you know, say, Hey, here's an original idea because you know, the hard part is like we've seen virtually every anything and everything as film film goers under the sun. So the only thing we can do is, you know, we can just try to continue to encourage other ideas that are still kind of risk-taking. And sure. I think I've always at least admired of Interstellar.
0: And Christopher Nolan's next movie, Tenet, seems yeah. to be this very trippy uh, high concept Christopher Nolan thing again dealing mm-hmm. with, with time, like he always loves to do. And mm-hmm. what are your expectations for that? Will we ever see it because it keeps getting pushed back every two weeks?
1: Um, first off, I hope. Um, and I, it's funny because I've seen so many people say, Why don't they pl- please release it on VOD? I'm like, First off, have you not seen a Christopher Nolan movie? Like, mm-hmm. I do not want it's, I, I. I can s I would watch one at home, but I just I it I just feel like I gotta see it that way. It's just me personally. However, with that said, I would love for Tenet to come out because I'm really curious about it. I I think John David Washington has been proving himself very quickly. He's before. amazing. Yeah, to even have but a handful of films under his belt and then say, All right, Christopher Nolan like you're going to be leading my whole probably two and a half hour film again um and and that's one thing i've always liked liked and i think that you know playing the the dynamic of inversion it does have me wondering like how is this going to go is this going to be so many other different things kind of like how that one is or are they just going to be worrying about how inversion plays into you know today's climate which i would at least hope because my only hope for Tenet is for one, for it to be good for starters and for two, to at least if we're going to hear the conversation of inversion, just how would you make that make sense in this kind of time? Period?
0: Yeah. I hope we get to see it. I hope I get to see it in theaters at some point. I will wait until 2021,
1: mm-hmm.
0: even 2022 to make that happen.
1: He's uh, not going to let that happen. But.
0: No, no. Uh, I, I would just love to see this on theaters. It has a lot of, ingredients i really enjoy a mm-hmm. kind of trippy concept john david washington and robert pattinson and i just want to watch the, i want to see those two actors get a lot of the recognition that they deserve and yeah so i hope we get to see it i'm I'm excited to see it whenever whenever it happens um it might be another christopher nolan movie where i say i don't know what just happened but i had a good time and
1: yeah that's okay yeah um, oh yeah well i totally agree and i think um I think that there's a really good mixture of actors involved in it. And I think that, you know, this would be in an ideal world. This would be a great film to be like, all right, now we're back in the theater. After things feel a little bit more calmer, now we can say, all right, now we can kind of catch up to where we missed left off in summer blockbuster, the paradigm. So I'm hoping for it as well.
0: Well, man, I appreciate you joining me. I don't know how Christopher Nolan feels about us sitting during this uh, podcast interview. If you've seen the uh, speculation about him not letting people sit on set, I think that's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, kind it's of just, a weird
1: thing. I, I, I sat and I watched your film for two and a half hours, just yeah. <laughs> someone else can still sit. It, yeah, and that and that's funny because I remember see, seeing that and I was like, "Is it sitting?" I mean, I knew. I knew about the cell phone part, like yeah. I knew about that. So I knew, and I was like, you know, honestly, if I was making a film, I probably wouldn't want people running yeah. around with phones either. So I couldn't fault that. But the sitting part was like, eh, it's probably a bit of a reach. And then when people said, no, it's it's kind of overreacted, yeah. but it's kind of funny hearing it.
0: It is for sure. Well, man, thanks again so much for joining me to talk about Interstellar and also brought a conversation about sci-fi and christopher nolan and and everything else in between it was really fun really awesome uh, i just really appreciate you coming on man
1: oh thank you thank you for having me and i'm glad that we got a chance to talk again and hopefully we'll be talking more again soon
0: yeah and uh where where can people find you on twitter um you can plug yourself here for the next few seconds if you got anything going
1: on or, or whatever else okay so right now i am you can access me basically on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all on the same thing, which is Travis house, which is T R A V I S H O U Z E. So the best way I always like to describe it is imagine house like the letter house, Mm -hmm. but just with a Z. And that's where you can find me. Um, When you go to my Instagram, you will see virtually all my photography related stuff. So when I'm not, talking about sci-fi or loving sci-fi i'm actually doing photography for a living and in the process of screenwriting and hopefully we'll have something very very soon so hopefully awesome. fingers crossed that the pandemic doesn't hold me off. Yeah.
0: that's awesome uh, yeah go and check out all of travis's stuff um as you can tell he's very thoughtful and um and just awesome in general so uh, once again, Travis, thanks for coming on man be be on the lookout for more episodes soon. a lot of cool guests coming up and be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Ticket pod and you can find me on Twitter at the Zach Leslie tweet a lot of stuff over there about a lot of different things and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening Thank
1: you.